Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Our scripture passage this morning is a story from Acts chapter 2, so I'm going to invite you to have a seat and take in the words of this story. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds and power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is a story of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This morning, I have the great privilege of introducing to you my friend, Dr. Lynn Anderson. Uh, Lynn Anderson is a pastor and preacher. Uh, he comes from the Church of Christ denomination. Uh, he's an author, he's been a, a consultant, and he showed up in worship here about three years ago when Daryl and I started to lead together. He showed up in such an encouraging way and never criticized that we decided we should Google him to find out who he was. And one of the first things that popped up when we Googled his name was an interview with Max Lucado, who said that Dr. Lynn Anderson was his mentor. I want you all to know that um, 
a week or so ago, I learned the difference between power over and power under. And power over is the kind of power uh, that the Bible describes as worldly power. It's the kind of power that we crave. It's control. Uh, power under is the kind of kingdom of God power that Jesus calls us to. It's the kind of power that, that, that Jesus showed. It's sacrifice for other people. It's getting up under them and encouraging them. And Lynn Anderson is one of the people that exhibits power under for me. And so it's my great privilege to have Lynn come and speak to us today on Acts chapter 2. Thank you, Dinah. Such nice words. I'm glad Carolyn was here to hear those. <laughs> <clears throat> so, uh, so Shiloh is 11. Uh, Shiloh lives in Russia. She's our oldest granddaughter. But when she was four, she lived right here in San Antonio. And one day she's out of the public pool with a little friend, Hispanic girl that can't speak English. They're having fun, but Shiloh's getting frustrated. So finally she steps around in front of this little girl and says, Friend, <clears throat> I don't understand a word you're saying. I don't speak Spanish, you know. I only speak Shiloh. <laughs> Shiloh, that's all she had to offer. That's all any of us have to offer, right? Our take. Uh, I'm going to try to speak truth today, but it's only my take on what is truth. Um, we live in a world, though, where um, the Shiloh phenomenon has gradually turned into the silo phenomenon, where people get gathered together in their own bubbles, and they speak to themselves in their own Shiloh, and after a while, they are fearful of people in the other silo until um, really it's sort of a caustic environment. Ryan even had to be careful about talking about taking care of the poor lest it be construed as politics, right? There's a man named uh, Jonathan Haidt. Uh, he's written a book called The Righteous Mind. The subtitle is Why Good People Can't Talk About Religion and Politics. It's not really about that, but he has done this research all over the world among many different kinds of cultures, and they deal with uh, conflict and differences in many different ways. But he said there's one thing that shows up in all cultures of the world. Each culture lives in its own narrative, in its own shiloh, its own bubble. But when some factoid drops down in the middle of their trail, that doesn't fit the narrative, all these peoples of the world go into the same four-point ceremony. Number one, I start digging for facts that undermine other. Number two, I start finding some facts that will bolster up myself. And third, since I'm speaking truth, I'm right, and other is wrong, and other can't see that, then other must be either stupid or evil. So number four, I conclude, 
I can no longer accept any information, no matter how well it's researched, that comes from other. And when you get there, you have today. And we wonder if there ever is a way where we can all learn how to talk with each other. And maybe, maybe we just have to drift into a self-destructive chaos. Or, or maybe, maybe Pentecost can help us. Pentecost, that celebration day when all of these people are gathered in Jerusalem from 15 different language groups. And uh, is that my phone? It is. No, it's not. And where was I? She's just trying my patience. No. <laughs> so they're all gathered in there, 15 different language groups. Some of them are not Jews, and some of them are actually enemies of the Jews. And some of them are slaves, and some are free. And into this gathering, 120 people roughly gathered somewhere in the temple, and this tornado breaks loose, fills up the whole room. And that's pretty exciting because it's sort of a hinge of history. This has been building up since the beginning of time. And then these flames burst up, and they start settling. It looks like fire on people's heads. And if that's not enough, they all start speaking in tongues in different languages. At least they speak in languages that are heard by different 15 different language groups all at once. Now this gathers a big crowd. They come running. What's going on here? And some were amazed that these Galileans, in other words, these uneducated hillbillies, can speak all these languages. Others think they're drunk. And then Peter stands up and says, no, no. No, something really huge is going down here. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel when God said in the last days, those beautiful times that I've been building toward, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit, not just on the Jews, not just on the men and the prophets, the leaders. I'm going to pour out my spirit on everybody. Young women and young men will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams. Slaves, men and women will prophesy. All flesh, not just for the Jews, not just for the men, not just for the free, not just, it's for everybody. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now, um, I wonder what that has to do with us. Well, the story sort of ends in the last end of the chapter past where Dinah was able to read today. That all of these people, when all of this shakes down, the dust clears, and they find, up, find themselves around tables eating together. All these disparate groups. And they find themselves taking out their own wallets and helping pay the bills for other people that ran out of cash. They want to stay in Jerusalem a while. And they, then they sing together. They hear the apostles teach together, and they serve the community. Strange way 
everything else big that God has done when Jesus came into the world, it was quiet. When uh, Jesus was crucified, it was a bit of a big day. When he was raised, it was really quiet. But when he gets down to releasing his power to everybody, it's quite a day. What's the take home for us? Well, the first thing is he talks about a kingdom. As Dinah said, it's an upside-down kingdom. Everybody wanted a Messiah those days, and Caesar claimed to be the guy. And Jesus and Caesar actually used the same weapon to bring about their kingdom. The weapon was blood. And Caesar shed other people's blood to elevate his power. But Jesus shed his own blood to elevate other people. It was a totally different kind of kingdom where leaders are not people that are bosses of a lot of folks. They're servants. Where the big teacher, <clears throat> teacher gets on his knees and watches people's feet. And it's a, it's a time when God pours out his spirit and the love of God is poured into the hearts of these people by the Holy Spirit. So there's a whole new language. Eugene Peterson says probably what we can learn about the tongue speaking here is not that we need to seek something sensational every day, but we can learn that from here on in, there's a new language in a new kingdom, the language of heaven. And when people speak the language of heaven, things become more calm. People listen to each other better. And <laughs> he goes on to say, um, he had a neighbor, he lived in Montana, and his neighbor lady went to visit her granddaughter in Chicago. And a little four-year-old girl and grandmother wanted to be a spiritual formation presence in the extended family. And so when she gets there, 5 o'clock in the morning, the little granddaughter comes bouncing into her bed. Grandma, she said, <clears throat> let's don't have any of this God talk, Okay. I believe God's everywhere, so let's just get on with life. And he said, well, maybe this, maybe this little girl's on to something, that so much of, of spiritual talk gradually kind of moves up into the heavens somewhere where it has little connection with the conversations and behaviors that go on in the normal fabric of life. And the, the truth kind of leaks out of the end of that stuff. And uh, Francis of Assisi said, or maybe didn't say, but it's attributed by some to him, wherever you go, preach the gospel. And if necessary, use words. <laughs> so this language of heaven isn't always spoken verbally. Sometimes it's just people doing things for other people. This community, this network 
of believers that hung around Jerusalem after the Pentecost and continued from till this day um, tend to be together to strengthen each other, but they're engaged in the lives of other people authentically. In many ways, the language of heaven it could be seen in the way we look at people out of our eyes, the way we speak to people, the way we treat the waitstaff at the restaurant after we leave here. It could be a cup of cold water. It could be a lot of different things. But I want to pick out of all those possibilities just one little story that I want to tell you that I think brings Pentecost home. Rocky Gillette. Now, this is not a guy that starred in a movie uh, with the lead played by Sylvester Stallone. Rocky Gillette is a real person that we knew back in our days living in Abilene, Texas. And Rocky uh, was rough and gruff and tough and scary and not the guy I'd want to pick a fight with. In his speech, his language was pretty salty pretty regularly. But you know people liked Rocky, and I did too. And that's why most of the gasoline I bought for several years, I bought from, uh, from, from Rocky's Texaco station just around the corner from our church. And uh, usually when I went there, I was going come to or from the church. And in those days, in Abilene, Texas, the preacher wears a suit every day, okay? So those people, and the gang of people that hung around that station, the hangers-on, they only saw me in my suit. Well, anyway, one, one day I get a call. I get a call from Rocky. I'm sitting in my church office being a preacher. And the phone rings, and it's Rocky. And uh, he's right to the point. Hey, Lynn, I think I need baptism. <laughs> Bam. I, you know, I'm kind of rattled. I said, well, we'll, we'll, we'll why, Rocky? <laughs> and he said, well, I think I want to be Christian. And uh, somebody told me that this is where you get started. So I said, well, a little more than that. But, but I mean, what brought, brought this on? He said, well, you know, my, my girlfriend, Kay, um, she's been dragging me over to your church, you know, these last few Sunday nights. And you've been doing these sessions that I think you've put them together to try to help people like me get our stuff together. Only, only Rocky didn't say stuff. And, and he said, uh, you know, last night when you got done talking, the people started singing and uh, Jim Poor came stumbling down the aisle, slinging snot. I'm just quoting Rocky, all right. <clears throat> and uh, he said, when he got, he said, I hate that man. I mean, I can't stand that guy. Uh, he, he's the rottenest apple in Abilene, Texas. Sometimes I'm a little scared of him. And he said, but he came down there and Dr. Faulkner baptized the guy. And then half the church came up and hugged on Jim Poor. And he said, I got to thinking, you know, maybe if that church would take in the likes of Jim Poor, maybe they'd accept Rocky Gillette. And then he got a little quieter, his voice got a little husky, and he said, and I got to thinking, if God can love and accept Jim Poor, 
Maybe he can accept Rocky Gillette. Well, sometime later, Rocky Gillette became a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, but to be honest, he never became a great church man. Uh, Jesus got his business, got his wallet. <laughs> never got all of his vocabulary for a while at least. <laughs> but it was a language that Rocky started learning right away. He figured it out. And the way he expressed it was when you sign on with King Jesus, you sign on to build people. And so Rocky started hiring some of these people, ragtag group that hung around his station, drinking Coke and making trouble. And uh, he would hire those people, those unemployable people, as he called them. And he'd, he would hire them with the intent of helping them get good jobs, permanent jobs. I mean, he'd teach them about hygiene and respect and integrity and uh, showing up on time every day and paying attention and and uh, uh, it worked a lot of those people uh, became had good jobs and some even started their own their own businesses and uh, <clears throat> well one day, I don't know, every time I went by there, I was in my suit, but I went, I was out quail hunting that day, and I came in, boots, jeans, a couple of days beard on, cowboy hat on, and uh, Ellen, that, that's not her real name, but was one of the women that had been hired that was working the pumps that day. Uh, I knew her, but she didn't recognize me right off the bat until I gave her my credit card, and she started to walk away, and she looked at the card, and she wheeled around, and she said, Oh, Reverend, I'm sorry. I didn't recognize you with your clothes on. <laughs> um, well, you can imagine what the gang did right then. <laughs> they never let me forget that. But to be, to be fair with Ellen, she was really speaking the truth. She had never seen me in what she called clothes. I showed up in this suit. I might as well have been wearing a spacesuit from her perspective. The way she described it, she said, I don't rightly know any folks what wears them suits. But Rocky wore clothes. And Rocky had learned the language of heaven. He saw people. And he loved people. And he trained people. And he began, that language began to crowd up some of Rocky's old language. Not all of it, but most of it. And, uh, well, I'll, I'll have to tell you one more piece of it. Um, later, many years later, some of those people, by the way, that Rocky tried to bring up that way, stole from him. I said, what'd you do with them, Rocky? He said, well, I took them out back, worked them over, West Texas style, he said. And by, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> he said, Jesus wouldn't want you to leave a man thinking he could steal from his boss and hold a job, would you? 
Well, I couldn't agree with the objective, maybe the technique. Um, anyway, <clears throat> several years later, I was writing a book called They Smell Like Sheep. It's about pastors rubbing up against the sheep, so to speak. And I, I put a little shorter version of this story in the book, and I sent it to Rocky for him to check for, you know, fact check it and to give me permission to print it. We'd moved from the town, but he called me back almost immediately. And he says, well, it looks okay to me. There's just one thing wrong with it. Was that Rocky? And he said, well, I never was scared of Jim Poor. So <laughs> he said, but you know, um, that, 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 that woman, Ellen, that you mentioned, uh, well, just a couple weeks ago, my wife, Kay, she had, threw a party to celebrate Ellen's fifth year of sobriety. I said, wow, that's fabulous, Rocky. I said, tell me something. What happened to those guys that stole from you? He said, which ones? And I said, I think I remember some brothers. And he said, oh, yeah, I should have told you about them. You know what those birds are doing? They're out in Odessa, Texas. They got them at Texaco Station. And would you believe it? They're hiring unemployable people and teaching them how to hold regular jobs. Yeah! Bingo! Rocky got the memo. He understands the language from heaven. As Foy Valentine said once years ago, I took a day to search for God. I climbed the highest steeple. But God declared, go down again. I live among the people. Lord, you poured your spirit into our hearts. And you promised that you could work through us more than we ask or imagine according to the power that you put here. And so now, Lord, to your name be the glory in the network of believers and in the Messiah forever and ever. Amen. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.